Hey, howdy, space nerds. As always, thanks for your support. This podcast is fueled by you, and you can help top off our tanks by checking out our merchandise. Pick up your very own Are We There Yet mission patch. You can get it at wmfe.org slash patch. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast so we can get more people exploring space exploration with us. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Last year, we spoke with a participant in the High Seas Experiment. That's the simulated Mars base camp that's actually in Hawaii. It's a chance for scientists to observe how people live and work in the simulated isolation of a future Mars mission. Well, that program was heading into its sixth mission back in February, but something happened that cut it short. Marina Cohen is a science reporter at The Atlantic. Her piece, When a Mars Simulation Goes Wrong, takes a deep dive into what happened that halted the experiment and what that means for future Martian analogs. She joins us by Skype. Marina, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. So the article was fascinating, this this um, kind of insight into... Uh, Trouble on the high seas, uh, if, if you want to use the pun. Um, basically, <laughs> give us the, the rundown. What happened? Oh, it is, it is a long and strange and exciting story. Uh, so, so basically, there is a Mars simulation in Hawaii on a volcano called Mount Aloha. And um, it's an experiment that's run by the University of Hawaii, but it's funded by NASA. And it is basically a, a social experiment, um, you know, People are put into a dome and left there alone for, you know, four months for to up to a year and basically just told to pretend that they live on Mars. And, you know, they go outside in spacesuits and they explore the terrain and they collect samples. But that's just they just need something to do. The real experiment is that um, it, the real experiment. These are their lab rats, basically. Uh, NASA and the University of Hawaii want to figure out how people do in a tiny, isolated, confined space for many months so that we know how to keep people alive and happy and healthy when the day comes to send people to Mars. And for the last couple of years, these missions have worked great until this past February when uh, it didn't. Yeah, so walk us through that 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 day where things kind of went sideways on this. Because as you mentioned, there have been a, a numerous amounts of these kind of analog experiments that have gone off relatively without any problems. So take us to, to the day that something did go bad. Right. So this mission was the sixth iteration of High Seas, which stands for Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation. Uh, you know, space exploration folks love their acronyms. And the mission started uh, February 15th, and four people packed into this little dome, said goodbye to their loved ones, and just started getting to work. Um, but it was a cloudy week that week. And that can be problematic for the high seas dome, the habitat, because the habitat and all of its systems run on this battery bank that is charged each day by a solar array that is on the ground. And so if it's cloudy for a few days, it's really hard for this battery bank to stay charged and to bounce back quickly. And so 
you know, power outages are possible. And the crew know that this is possible. They are trained on what to do. And so what happened during this mission, four days in, crew members woke up one morning and the power was out. So they're like, okay, it's been too cloudy. We we have to do what we've been told to do. So they got into uh, two crew members got into their spacesuits um, because you know you're not allowed to go outside without a spacesuit and a helmet, the full getup. Because again, this is a Mars simulation. You have to really buy into it and live like you're on Mars. And so two crew members went out uh, onto the grounds where there is this uh, backup generator about the size of a car it runs on propane and the crew were told and trained to switch on this backup generator when it's really cloudy when there's a power outage so two people go out and do that Um, they flip a switch the other two crew members stayed behind inside the habitat and they were also supposed to flip a switch and basically this maneuver just you know it, it powers up the backup generator and it it shifts the power source over to the generator So all the switches that needed to be flipped were flipped. The two crew members that were outside go back inside and immediately they know that something is wrong. And they see that one of their fellow crew members looks really pale, just really stricken. And they said, you know, I'm not feeling well. I think I got an electric shock. And that's got to be terrifying (laughs) when you're because one thing I think we should note is that everything is simulated in, in the high seas, including communication back to mission control, right? So it would take them 20 minutes. They, well, they would simulate 20 minutes to get a response to mission control and then 20 minutes to get back. So 40 minutes round trip, right? So they're kind of cut off. Oh, definitely. And yeah, I imagine, I mean, I was not there, but I imagine that it was scary. And from my conversations with some of these people, it did sound really scary because not only is there that lack of, or there is that delay in communication, um, you know, it does really feel like you're on another world when you're inside this dome because, you know, you're eating freeze-dried foods, you're using a composting toilet, you can't go outside and feel the wind on your face. And the habitat is so remote, so isolated, you don't hear any of the everyday sounds outside the dome, like cars or birds or anything like that. So, you know, it was four people on this volcano trying to figure out what to do because someone was having, someone got an electric shock and they had to spend the next couple of minutes, hours figuring out what to do. And so walk us through that. I mean, this, this is the conflict of the story here is, you know, do they call for help? Do they break the simulation? Um, kind of walk us through their, um, their kind of thinking through this, this critical issue. Right, right. So the important thing to know about high seas is that the crew and the staff and everyone who works on this mission, their number two goal, their number one goal is safety, which anyone who works in space exploration or simulations will tell you, but their number two goal is to maintain the fidelity of the simulation. You know, if the outside world somehow creeps into the dome, if, if the crew members interact with anyone outside of the mission, if anything goes wrong, then all of the data that the researchers are collecting about these four people and about how this crew functions, that data is compromised. And so the last thing they want to do is compromise the mission. And so, you know, there's a medical emergency that might require some, the need of, you know, some medical assistance, some outside help that's going to compromise the mission. And so there were conversations among the the crew members about what to do. Um, The crew commander, for example, 
he decided to call 911, but just to ask for medical advice because they didn't want to right away like summon an ambulance and bring in people and break the simulation. And another crew member didn't agree. She said, no, we have to call an ambulance. We need one right now. And so there were these discussions and this very tense situation going on. And how, how do you decide what to do in that moment? You know, these crew members have roles like you know there's a crew commander there's a health officer there's a mission specialist but at the end of the day these are just four people who gave up their jobs for eight months to participate in this really cool experiment and now it's up to them to figure out what to do and what did they ultimately do so the consensus the crew member told me that he went with the consensus of of the crew um well first First, they tried to call on the they tried to call the on call doctor. They have some emergency protocols in place. They tried to call this doctor, they wouldn't pick up. To this day, I don't know where this doctor was or what they were doing. Um, you know, they wouldn't tell me that. So they called their um, their program director, the person out of the University of Hawaii who oversees this whole mission. She told them to just keep calling the on call doctor. And then when they couldn't reach that doctor. They just decided, okay, let's call 911 and let's call this time not just to ask for advice, but for an ambulance. And that's that's what they did. Yeah. First of all, how did this story come to light? Um, how did you find out about it, and and how did you report it out? Right. So there were back in February, as this mission was starting. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a cool experiment. People love getting excited about this stuff. So the University of Hawaii put out some press releases promoting this mission, promoting the crew, you know, published their bios. Uh, but then four days into the mission, there were a couple of news reports out of Hawaii saying that it was canceled, that a crew member was hospitalized, um, treated for a few hours and released the same day. And as soon as I read that, my reporter alarm started going off because that just sounds I don't know, like, you know, whatever happened there is going to be interesting. And especially because high seas missions have done so well in the last couple of years. This was the first time that one had ended uh, suddenly. So I emailed all four of the crew members because their names are publicly available. Some of them work at universities, so they have, you know, easily accessible emails and asked them for interviews. And three of them said no. Uh, but the fourth crew member, uh, her name is uh, Lisa. She's a science communicator from Australia. She decided to talk to me. So I was like, great. We got on the phone and just started talking generally about the mission. And I asked her, so, so what happened with your mission? What happened with mission six? And it turned out that she was the person that quit the mission. She wasn't the person who got injured but after that incident, she said that she was so concerned about the safety of the habitat that she decided to withdraw altogether. And uh, high seas couldn't go on with just three people. That was just too small a crew. Yeah, so, so the, the mission had to be canceled. I mean, what, what other fallout came from this incident? Right. Well, so the mission was canceled. Uh, it would be... <laughs> Because, you know, three people, it's uh, usually these missions have six people. And it's kind of strange that this mission even had four people. And I talked to some high seas staff who said that, you know, there, there were going to be six people, but um, 
something happened. One person dropped out early on. Another person was removed just a few days before she was scheduled to fly out to Hawaii, uh, she told me. And so there was a deliberation among the high seas staff whether or not to go on. And, uh, you know, they decided to just go forward and just uh, risk it. And one high seas staffer told me that that was that that was a risk because it left the the crew vulnerable to have so few people. And so, yeah, after the incident occurred, the mission, basically the entire operation was put on hold. And the University of Hawaii has been conducting a review on this. And then NASA has to conduct a review about what happened and to determine whether uh, high seas can basically go on. So right now, the entire operation is kind of in limbo as we wait for these reviews to be completed and for NASA to make a determination. Mm-hmm. And NASA could either pull their funding from this and, and maybe high seas can keep going uh, you know, through other means. Um, but right now, it's really unclear what's going to happen next. I mean, the whole the whole situation raises some ethical questions, right? You know, on one hand, crew safety is extremely important and and they need to take care of of their subjects but on the other hand you need to figure out what would happen if there was a medical emergency if we're going to send people to Mars right i mean so you can argue both sides that maybe they shouldn't have uh sent the ambulance in there just to see how people would react to a medical emergency oh that's a good question but if they hadn't sent the ambulance in there that's just i imagine there would be lawsuits right <laughs> that's yeah uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. And for my reporting, I talked to a bunch of people who had done the high seas experiment in years past, and everyone seemed to agree that it's probably a good idea to have a crew member in these simulations and definitely on a real mission to Mars to have someone who is trained up to the level of a paramedic. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case in this mission. And so I think that would be, everyone has kind of agreed that that would be helpful. And I think that if the missions continue, there will probably be more of a focus in training on uh, first aid. And all people, that, all the crews that go into high seas, they have first aid training. But I don't know if they receive the kind of training that tells you what to do when someone has received an electric shock mm-hmm. and is, you know, shivering and going pale. And that's a scary situation. Absolutely. Now, I mean, these these analog missions are are extremely important to our understanding of of human behavior when it comes to missions of isolation, right? I mean, if high seas is canceled or it doesn't get the funding, I mean, does that really set us back when it comes to human exploration of places like the moon or Mars? Uh, That's a good question. I think, uh, I don't know that we are going to reach that 2030. Is that the latest deadline or like target for Mars 2030? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) We'll use that number. (laughs) Right. I would say that we have that the human species definitely has a lot of time before we really have to think about actual training for a mission to moon or Mars. But if high seas is canceled, that does, like you said, that does set uh, NASA back in terms of research, because right now the only other um, space analog or simulation that NASA has is, is the HERA program. And in that program, a crew of four spends about 45 days inside this asteroid simulation, inside this other very small little habitat um, in a warehouse in Houston. Uh, and that's a short mission. And you can learn a lot from that, but not as much as you could when you stick a couple of people on a volcano in Hawaii and leave them alone for eight months or up to a year. What's been the reaction to your piece, Marina? Have have people kind of 
said this was the right thing to do or have people been like, I can't believe that this is even happening? I mean, what's been the reaction? Right. Well, a lot of people have asked, where was the on-call doctor? And that is a question I also want an answer to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to know where this person was. Um, The crew members that um, declined to have extensive interviews with me were obviously um, not thrilled that the story came out, but they actually appreciated the way it came out. They were, you know, they thought it was pretty fair. Um, And obviously the people who run high seas were also not thrilled that the story came out because this might put the future of their program in jeopardy. Uh, Obviously NASA and the University of Hawaii know more than I do about what happened because they're conducting these extensive reviews, Mm -hmm. but maybe this will somehow affect that process in some way. Uh, But I think most of the reaction has been that it's just interesting that you know, before we get people to Mars and figure out how to work that kind of mission, we still haven't really figured out how to set up and and do a simulation of that on Earth. Like there are still so many concerns that we have to figure out for simulations even before we even start thinking about a real life mission. It's kind of like a gut punch, you know, we still have so much more to do before we can even think about sending humans anywhere else. Right, right. And and humans are unpredictable. And I think that's one of the more interesting things about the high seas mission. It is about figuring out which people work best together and which people don't work well together. And a Mars mission is going to be a lot longer than eight months. You're going to want to make sure that these people don't strangle each other, um, that these people get along, and they have a system in place for figuring out what to do in case of an emergency. Um, Because it could be that something bad happens on Mars and a crew takes matters into their own hands. And it's, it's the reason why for high seas, the people who support the crew, they're called mission support. They're not called mission control. When we send people, if and when we send people to Mars, they're going to be communicating with a mission support because they're going to be much more autonomous. They're going to have better information than people on Earth, most likely. And it's going to be up to them to figure out what to do in cases of emergency. We've been speaking with Marina Corin. She's a science reporter at The Atlantic. Uh, Marina, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and sharing your reporting. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Be sure to check out Marina's story, When a Mars Simulation Goes Wrong, on The Atlantic's website. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org space. What do you want to hear from this podcast? Help shape the next show. You can send me story ideas or a question. Email me at arewetheryet at wmfe.org. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.